I want to say another word of welcome to those of you that might be joining us online. Welcome. We're glad you're worshiping with us this morning at Bethany United Methodist Church where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in His image. And uh, we're glad you're with us this morning. And um, as Thomas said, I refer you, if you have questions, you can go to the webpage or uh, send us questions uh, about the church. We want to help you become connected if possible. Um, I walked in this morning, and as I came in, some of the, the folks were gathering back here, and, and I have on my, one of my Christmas ties. And uh, somebody said, oh, it's too early for that. And I said, no. No, actually, it's not. Uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, so it, it, it's time. Uh, if you had, uh, you know, kind of a funky Christmas tie, or someone was wearing a really great Christmas sweater earlier this morning, this is the time to wear it. You know, don't wait till July because people will look at you funny. Uh, but but this is the time to get all that stuff out and wear it and enjoy it. Um, I'm going to take you a little reminder about the church year. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and the church year was designed to tell a story. So it begins in Advent. This is the first day of the church year today. If you uh, are on the daily text, it started off this morning with Happy New Year. Uh, in church language, this is the beginning of the year. Uh, and Advent, Adveneer, uh, it, it's the time of waiting for the coming or to come. Uh, and, and it's a time of waiting for the arrival of Christ, uh, not only thinking about his birth uh, in Bethlehem, but also thinking about the second coming at the end of ages. So this is the period of time in which we are waiting and preparing ourselves for Christ. Uh, that moves into the Christmas, the Christ Mass season, the time when we celebrate the birth of Christ into our midst, into our world in Bethlehem. That's followed by the season of Epiphany, which comes from uh, Epiphanos in Greek, uh, to shine light upon something or to reveal something, uh, the season in which the Christ child is revealed to be the Messiah, the Savior. And that moves from, uh, into the season of Lent. <clears throat> Lent comes from the old English word lengthen, which means to lengthen. It's a time of year when the days get longer because, you know, not all church seasons can have churchy names. Uh, so it's Lent. It's the time of year when the days get longer. Uh, but it's the time of year when we are preparing ourselves to walk with Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday uh, to move through the events of the establishment of Holy Communion and of his arrest and of his crucifixion on Good Friday. Uh, that season is followed by Easter, the great celebration of the resurrection. And 50 days later, uh, we come to Pentecost, the count of 50, uh, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church as we know it. That runs for a while, and then we enter into the rest of the year, which is just called ordinary time. It used to be kingdom tide, but now it's just referred to as ordinary time. It's uh, telling the stories of the, the, the church, the ministry of the church, of Jesus teaching, uh, just kind of a broad array of stories. Uh, it all winds up on Christ the King Sunday, which technically was last Sunday uh, this year, but we're, this year we're kind of pushing that into uh, the first Sunday of Advent uh, with uh, the series talking about presidents and kings. Uh, but it's, it's the time when we declare our allegiance to Christ. And so uh, today's the, the first, year of, first day of the church year, and, and I don't know about you, but you know, 2020 has been kind of a lousy year, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, we were, we're all ready for 2020 to be over, aren't we? I mean, I, I don't know how many people I've talked to have said, yeah, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm finished, I don't want, I've had enough 2020. Uh, you know, we've had, uh, we've had the pandemic stuff going on, we've had all the the, the unease and, and disruption and struggle with uh, racial inequities in our society. Uh, we've had the elections going on, and I, I, in this congregation at least, I know we've had a number of people who've suffered with different surgeries and illnesses and things in the midst of all of this. 
Uh, and it, it's really been tough. And now, you know, I'm at this time of year. Um, there's a little glimmer of hope out there with some vaccines that look like they may be uh, finally coming to fruition and might be available the first part of next year for us. Uh, and, and I see that. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm ready to declare it. Let's just, let's just go on and declare that, you know, today is, is the first day of the year and just say 2020 is done. We are done with it. And we're going to look forward to 2021, okay? I'm just, I'm so, I'm so done with 2020 this year. And as we come in, as you know, we, we just come out of this bruising election we've been in, and there's still some rumblings going on around that. And uh, I, I did a little online research and found that in the federal elections uh, this year, uh, there's somewhere between five and five and a half billion dollars were spent, and something like two to two and a half billion, not million, two to two and a half billion dollars were spent just on the presidential election, and, and I don't know, I mean, that, that, that meter is still running right now, so we're not finished with all of that. And all of the hoopla that went with it and, and the, uh, the kind of division and polarization that comes out of that that sets us against each other uh, and the struggles we have with that, and, and I keep thinking, you know, we, we, we go through all of this and people get so wound up and people get so upset and people get so mad at each other, and yet, you know, we're going to do it all over again in four years. So maybe we need to step back from that this morning and think about really, you know, who is it that we really serve? Charles Wesley uh, wrote this in his explanatory notes to the New Testament. Would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which have divided the Christian world were forgot, and that we might all agree to sit down together as humble, loving disciples at the feet of our common master, to hear his word, to imbibe his spirit, and to transcribe his life in our own. And I love that last phrase, to transcribe his life in our own. And so this morning as we begin this season of Advent, I want to encourage you to think about what would it look like to transcribe, to, to write the life of Jesus in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we confess to you that this has been a hard year for us in so many ways. And we have struggled in so many ways. And so we are, we are ready to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We are ready to, to turn into the new year. <clears throat> and we ask as we do that, uh, that you come and rest upon us and remind us uh, of who is truly King and Lord of our lives. Uh, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So the, the name Messiah uh, means anointed one, uh, and it's actually, that's the, Messiah is the English kind of version of a, an old Hebrew word. Uh, it means anointed one. It's very similar in Greek to the word Christos, incidentally, uh, and, and it means the expected king and deliverer of the Jews. And this idea of anointing goes way back in Scripture. Uh, if we go back to Exodus, <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, measured by the sanctuary shekel, and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil." With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the covenant 
and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin with its stand, you shall consecrate them so that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Now that word consecrate uh, means to make sacred or, or, or to set aside for God. Uh, and so when he says to consecrate them and make them holy, it means to set something aside for God. And, and the anointing oil was a way of marking that that's what was happening to this uh, table, to this lampstand. It was being anointed as a sign of God's Spirit resting on it and setting it aside for God to be something holy. And in the same way, he continues, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them in order that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the Israelites, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. So this, this idea of anointing and, and of blessing you know, travels forward from, from very early in the history of the people of Israel, a way to mark uh, those things that are holy and that are set aside. And one of the, the ways in which they would use that was to mark their kings, to have them set aside to serve Israel and to be uh, uh, holy to God in the midst of that serving. And you hear this, this is the anointing of Saul. Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him. He said, the Lord has anointed you ruler over his people Israel. You shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their enemies all around. Now this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you ruler over his heritage. So this anointing to set Saul aside to be the king of Israel. And this would continue through all of Israel's history. The kings would be anointed as a symbol for that. And, and I know we might think that's kind of something that's passed by the wayside, but uh, I want to remind you, in 1953, when Queen Elizabeth was uh, crowned Queen of England at her coronation here in Westminster Abbey, uh, they anointed her with oil. Uh, it's part of the ceremony. Um, we have a picture of this. It's not the world's best picture, but uh, one of the reasons we have that is Elizabeth insisted that, that this should be done where people could see it. Uh, sometimes in the past it had been done off to the side because it was considered such a sacred moment that, it, that you know, they did not want you know, just crowds of people watching. But she felt it belonged, it was something that people needed to see and understand. So uh, that canopy is held over her. Uh, it's a, a way of shielding her uh, from you know, prying eyes, if you will, uh, or privacy or, or the sacredness, to emphasize the sacredness of this moment. And the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, comes to her and he takes some of the anointing oil from uh, Canterbury and he marks her head and he marks the upper part of her chest and he marks her hand as a sign that, that God is going to bless the thoughts of her mind, the feelings of her heart, the work of her hands, and also that they will be consecrated, she will be consecrated, that in her leading of her nation, uh, she will do it in a way that brings honor to God. And, and so he, she's being set aside to be God's instrument to lead the nation. Uh, so it's still part of the practice in parts of the world uh, to this day. And the church picked that up and used it in ways besides just this idea of anointing kings. Uh, James writes to us uh, and says, Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, this anointing with oil is a sign of healing, uh, that the Spirit's going to come upon these people and that in doing so the Spirit will bring healing to them. So the, the oil is that kind of outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace uh, that's occurring uh, and, and marks that. And, and it gets used in lots of different ways. Uh, uh, we anoint people for uh, healing. We also anoint them in special occasions. Uh, people who are dying are anointed as a way of, of 
setting their spirit aside uh, to be ready to ascend into the presence of God. So uh, these are all different ways which we use that. Now, along with anointing of the Messiah, there's also these prophecies that accompany this uh, that go along beside it. But first, we're going to look at a little bit of the anointing of Jesus here. So these are different ways. Jesus was not anointed by the high priest in the way that the kings of Israel did. But there's a number of anointing stories of Jesus that occur in the Gospels. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. So she did not consider herself worthy to anoint his head, but she could anoint his feet. Now, while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, now, this is not Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. This is a different household in Bethany. A a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So she anoints his head with oil. And in John's gospel, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. I'm, I'm thinking that must have been quite a party right? Remember, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. I mean, what kind of a, this, this, is, this has got to be, I mean, that's got to be the understatement of the year. I mean, it must have been a tremendous celebration going on here. They gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made a pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So you see, even though he, he's not anointed by the high priest, uh, he is anointed by the people that know him and that love him. He's, he's set aside, um, Messiah, anointed one, in perhaps a little different way, but, but nonetheless anointed. In the same way, he fulfills the, uh, the prophecies of the Davidic covenant. Uh, now, therefore, thus you should say to my servant David, this is God speaking through Samuel to, to David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, and have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David is considered the greatest king of Israel, and in this covenant that God makes with him, he promises that David's house, David's descendants, will continue to be those who will reign over uh, God's people forever. So there's this Davidic covenant that's given and made to him. Now, there's a little sidebar to that, which is the city of David is now we know as, as Bethlehem is what we refer to it. And in the prophet uh, Micah, prophecies of Micah, he tells us, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, 
whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. This is a prophecy that connects into the Davidic covenant with the city or the town of Bethlehem. We move into the New Testament then and we hear these prophecies being uh, extended to Christ. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So you hear the angel's announcement to Mary that she's going to have this child who is going to be in this line of the house of David and of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, this kind of extension of the Davidic covenant. In the same way, um, you hear uh, in Luke, in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke always wants to set us in, in the context of history. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. So you hear, again, Luke telling us this connection there. And then in Matthew's gospel, you hear that even beyond the people of Israel, there are folks who make these connections. Uh, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at his rising and have come to pay him homage. I mean, they, they understand, even though they're not of the people of Israel, they understand that, that someone of the lineage of David has been born. A new king has come. So you have all these kind of, of pointers, if you will, that, that help us to understand that, that Jesus is born into the lineage of the house of David, that he is indeed anointed. And although he may not be the king in which many people, in the way in which many expected, uh, he is the king in the way that God has planned. I mean, in unexpected ways, even, that gets declared. When he is crucified, Pilate, uh, the Roman governor, uh, puts this uh, inscription on the cross. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And when you see that I-N-R-I, that's what it looks like, at least to our eyes, uh, that, that so often we use during the season of Lent and uh, on Good Friday, uh, those are the, the first letters of the words uh, that in Greek would have said Jesus Christ, king of the Jews, and Jesus, uh, king of the Jews. And so this is the, the inscription that he's referring to on this passage. 
So you get that. And not only is he king for the period of the 33 years he's on the face of the earth, not only is he declared king by, by the Roman governor, although unwittingly, uh, not only is that happening, nonetheless, uh, he's king beyond those 33 years. When we go into the prophecies of Revelation, uh, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And yes, you should be hearing a little echo of Handel as you read that passage because uh, that's part of the great uh, Messiah. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this understanding that the kingdom of our Lord does not end at death but extends out into the mists of eternity. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And what we, what we get into is this, this extension then of the idea of the kingdom of Jesus Christ as extended into the future to the very end of the ages. King of kings, Lord of lords. Not, not just for a day, not just for a few years, not just for when we want him to be, but, but beyond all of history to the end of the age of ages. And, and so, you know, just kind of thinking about that, you know, to me, I, I, I just kind of remind you, you know, I said this a few weeks ago. You know, we, president's elected for four years, but you know, Jesus is Lord forever. So now let me ask you where, do you, where do you want to spend all your energy? Where do you want to spend all your passion? Where do you want to invest all of that emotion? I mean, do you want to invest that in someone who's going to be president for four years or maybe if they get reelected for eight years? Or, or, or do you want to invest that, all of who you are, in the one who is king forever, who's Lord of Lords. Where do you want to invest yourself in that way? Where do you want to put your life? To whom can you yield yourself? So I'm going to show you a picture. This is uh, Don Benner with some of the kids from El Salvador. Don's one of my uh, heroes in faith. Uh, Don, in his first, the first act of his life, uh, was a businessman here in the United States, and. Uh, he had a company that developed a hydraulic pump. Uh, they patented that and, and built it and uh, later sold all, all the patents to other companies. But, but uh, if you drive an older General Motors vehicle, the power steering pump and that is built off to hit the patent that they developed. Uh, and so uh, he, he actually was very successful uh, in his first career uh, as a businessman here. And, and at a point in his life, uh, he and Roseanne uh, met and they, they married and uh, made a decision that God was calling them to El Salvador, uh, originally to establish a book ministry, a ministry of providing Bibles and Christian literature in Spanish to the people of El Salvador. That was the original calling. Uh, it's still part of their ministry to this day, a part of the ministry he established to this day. Uh, and so he, he, he sold out all of his stuff in the United States. He, he divested of everything, sold it, and they went to El Salvador. 
started a bookstore. Um, eventually that expanded to several bookstores, but he started with one and they began that. And, and as they arrived in the middle of the civil war that was going on there, they became aware of the numerous children who had been displaced uh, and oftentimes orphaned in the midst of that war. And they felt that God was calling them to do something about that. So they established an orphanage originally down kind of on the coastal plain of El Salvador. But the coastal plain of El Salvador is kind of like the coastal plain in Texas. You know, it's hot and it's muggy and it's got the world's biggest mosquitoes. And so uh, eventually they decided, well, this is probably not the best location. Uh, and about then, the, the former, former president's country uh, uh, place uh, became available for sale and uh, up kind of in the foothills of the volcanoes. And so they bought that property and moved there to a much healthier place uh, for them to live and for them to have the children and established an orphanage there for those children. Uh, once they had the orphanage established, of course, you know, they had to have some place for them to worship. So they built a small church and Roseanne began to provide worship services for the children. And of course, they had to go to school. So they started a school, uh, which now has over 200 students in, enrolled in it uh, and began building that. And, and at each step along the way, you know, Don was just saying, okay, well, this is what we need to do. This is what God's calling us to do. I mean, he walked away from this life of, of wealth and luxury in the United States into a country in El Salvador where when he went, he could not speak the language. And he began building this ministry, not knowing exactly how it was going to go. Um, when I got connected with them, we were looking at doing the, the, farm, the uh, clinic, Familia Clinic down there. And, uh, and, and Don was taking us around and saying, well, you know, this piece of property would be good. And this piece of property would be good. And this piece of property would be good. And I'm going, that's great, Don. Uh, you know, we have no money. Uh, so, uh, and Don said, we need to pray about that. And so we did. Now, I'm pretty convinced that, that when Don Benner prayed, uh, he had more pull with God than I did. Uh, but, but nonetheless, you know, he, we, we, we prayed with him, and, and the next thing that happened was we, we received a check from somebody who'd never sent money to him before. Uh, somebody sent him a check for $72,000, which was exactly what we needed to buy the land. Uh, and so we, we bought the property, and then I'm going, okay, so now we have the land. You know, how are we going to do all this? And, and, and Don said, we need to pray about it. And, and we begin to pray about it, and, and people begin to send money in, and, and pretty soon there's this building going up, and then there's this four-story clinic that's being built, and I'm going, Don, we've got the building, but how are we going to equip it you know, with medical equipment and everything? And Don says, we need to pray about it, right? Okay. So we pray about it, and this outfit in Canada comes and, and calls him up one day on the phone and says, you know, we have these shipping containers with uh, medical equipment that we've repurposed uh, and re, you know, cleaned up and fixed up. Uh, and we were going to send it to Cuba, but now Cuba says they don't want it anymore. Would you guys like to have it? Sure. Okay. So they start sending us 15 40-foot shipping containers full of high-grade medical equipment, each one of them probably worth millions of dollars, each container. And it comes in more than what the clinic can use. So not only does it equip the clinic, but it also helps to re-equip the nearby government hospital. And so now the, the equipment's arrived, and I'm going, well, Don, we got, we got the equipment, we got the building. Now, now what are we going to do about staffing this place? And Don says, we need to pray about it. So the first thing that happens is we get contacted by a medical school in the United States that says, you know, we like to train our residents in doing community health or public health in the developing world. Can we send some people down to your clinic? Sure. So, you know, like 40-something people show up, you know. 
And they begin this kind of ongoing relationship of bringing their students down and having them work in the area, both in the clinic and in the areas around the clinic, uh, doing community help as well as doing uh, treatment, you know, in the clinic. And, and, and then the local university in El Salvador says, well, if they can do that, can we send people too? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just piece by piece. But everywhere along the way, Don just kept saying, well, let's pray about it. And I thought, you know, here's a guy who he, he could have chosen to stay in the States. He could have chosen to live out the rest of the money, the rest of his life on the money he had. Uh, he could have chosen a life of, of luxury, which many of us long for. And, and, and yet what he does is he totally reinvests himself in this ministry. And one evening when I was down there, Don was sitting out on the, the play yard kind of area there at the orphanage uh, with this big smile on his face. And, and as he's sitting there and these kids are playing, one at a time, different ones of them run up to him, get up in his lap, talk to him for a while, hug on him, love on him, and then get off and go run and play some more. And he's got this big smile on his face. And I'm thinking he traded all of that stuff that he, that he would have had here to go down there for that and have those kids love on him like that. And I'm pretty sure if I'd asked him, he would have said, that's the best trade I've ever made in my life. So let me just ask you, I mean, you know, when you think about where your life is and what we're moving into now as we move into Advent and this time of celebrating the coming of the Messiah, uh, who's, who really is the true king of your life? And who is it that you're really willing to yield all that you are and all that you have to? Who really are you willing to give all that you have to? Someone we elect for four years? To our bank accounts? Are you really willing to yield to those? Or would you rather yield your life to the one who is the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the Messiah, forever? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we confess that too often we hear the titles, we read the scriptures, and yet we want to maintain control of our lives and hold our own security in our own hands. We ask that you surround us in the presence of your spirit this morning and, and fill us so powerfully that we have confidence and trust to place ourselves into your hands to yield all that we are and all that we have to you. To begin to take our life and give it to you, knowing that you are the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Messiah. Not just on this day, not just for these years, but for all of eternity. We ask that you hear us as we offer ourselves to you. And we lift ourselves up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.